head. Good morning. How is everyone? Okay, so before I get started, a very quick math question for you. And it's very relative to the service. And as I am not at all one who is good in math, has been good in math, this should be easy. What is one plus one? Cool. William is two greater than one. Okay, so we've established that one plus one equals two, and that two is greater than one. So today's service and today's lesson is entitled The Power of Godly Relationships. And that question that I just asked you is going to come back a couple different times. But as I was praying on this this week, and as I was meditating on it, the Holy Spirit kind of dropped something in mind. And what he told me is that two of the most dangerous spots for a Christian to be in is either number one, by themselves, or number two, linked to the wrong people. And so this lesson is vital. It's not just something to hear and be like, oh, you've got a friend in me. That's great. I have pals. No, it's, this is important. This is something that you need to remember constantly and check your surroundings. We had an ELT advance um, back in January, and one of the things that Deb had brought up, I'm not sure if it was just in the meetings or if it was something that we were talking about privately, but she brought up the fact that she had heard that we are the product of the five people that we spend our time with. The most time spent, that's who we are. So just keep these sort of figures in, our, in your head as we read through. And while the lesson may be short, it's sure not going to be, because I preached it to the kids on Thursday, and, well, I went late, so I'm 95% of my pastor, so we're going to just get going. It's by Dan Craw uh, is who wrote this one, or Dan Crow. Today we're talking about the power of godly relationships. And note that he says godly, not Christian. See, people can dub themselves as Christian, but that doesn't mean that the relationship with you, that you have with that person is a godly relationship. When you think about it, the entire Bible talks about this subject. For instance, the word church in the Greek is ekklesia. And Brian has, Pastor Brian has taught about this. We know that the word ekklesia um, means a called out group. As you look in the word, you'll see that the church or that the people of God are encouraged to meet together. They're encouraged to pray together and to encourage one another daily. They're encouraged by the power of godly relationships as they walk together. And if you would also consider the word elder, it is used many times in scripture, and it is used to describe someone who is older, someone who is mature, someone who has walked the life of Christ and who has been successful in his family and in his marriage. If I were having a problem with my marriage, I would want to go to a man who is godly, who has obtained godly wisdom over the years. And that's so true for us. I know that for me, if George and I are having an issue in our marriage or something is happening, I'm not just going to go up to Joe Schmo on the street who says that they love Christ and be like, hey, so this is what's happening. Because I don't know their spirit. I don't know where they are. I'm going to go to my godly counsel and my pastors. I'm going to go seek out people who I know are serving God and following after him with all their heart. I'm going to ask Brian and Nicole. I'm going to ask Deb. I'm going to ask people that I know are chasing after the Lord. Not just Christian people, godly people. We also have to realize that the scripture describes the body of Christ as a physical body. It has hands, ears, eyes, other different parts. We're all a part of one another. 
And as part of one another, we draw strength from one another. Each ligament, each part of the body has its own gifting, its own talents, and its own way of giving strength and knowledge. So this goes back to what the Holy Spirit implanted in me this week, that the two most dangerous spots that people can be in are either number one alone or number two linked up with the wrong person. If I am choosing to walk out life by myself, if I'm, you know what, it's just me and God, nobody else, I'm missing the power that Tara may have in her. I'm missing that wisdom that she has. I'm missing that part of who I am. If I don't go to Rachel and Chris and say, you know what, I don't get this. How, how would you see this? Then I'm missing their perspective that they have because they operate in a different way than I do. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. It's a part of Christ that I'm not. We have to make sure that we're utilizing one another. The Bible says in James 5.16, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This is one example in scripture of the power of godly relationships. You know, there's something in the body of Christ that's missing. And this, this is a huge point for me. I think that because we've emphasized the priesthood of the believer, the priesthood that we have ourselves going to rec going directly to God and not to one another, we've lost some things. See, we're taught, obviously, Christ came so that we can have a personal relationship with the Father, and that's huge, and that's important. Our relationship with God is the most important. But there's something about going to someone else and confessing something that's happening. There's a power that's released in that. And what happens is, I'll tell you personally, I, I, I had been going through something. And last month, it had been like a culmination of a few months, and all of a sudden, it just came to a head. And this spiritual issue that I had been dealing with and battling on my own and praying for deliverance on and praying that God would heal me, I couldn't do it by myself. So I went to my husband. I went to my pastor's. And while it was not necessarily the most comfortable thing for my flesh, what happened is that after two hours, it broke. The spiritual deliverance that I had been needing came. The root was lifted up, and it's not that I did it. It's that God worked through these people that God has given to me. There's a power of going to one another and saying, I need your help. I don't get this. Why is this failing for me? Why isn't this working? How do you see this working out? We can't do it by ourselves. The Bible talks about confessing our faults to one another. I have a friend whose name is Dr. Lauren Lewis. I don't have a friend whose name is Dr. Lauren Lewis. I do have a friend, Lauren. He's an older gentleman, and we've spent a lot of time together. Lauren's not an older gentleman. Uh, he's a Greek scholar and reads, Hi, Lauren. <laughs> and reads directly from the Greek. <sighs> Lauren, pastor, just made a joke about you. I'm sorry. Uh, when there's something from the scriptures that I can't figure out, I'll go to him and ask him what the Greek has to say about it. I'll also ask him about the tenses from the Greek, and he helps me in my biblical studies a lot. I've spent hours and hours with this man. He's a man of wisdom. He's a godly man. He has a successful marriage. He has a successful family. And there's times when all of us need to confess our faults. Now, I know the Bible says that we're to confess our sins to God, and I'm not saying that you should confess your sins to someone as if they could forgive them because we need to go directly to God, but we need to have some sort of accountability in our lives. And see... If I, let's say that I did something against Tara. Let's say that I offended Tara. 
and I just keep this between me and God, and I'm like, you know what, God, please forgive me for offending Tara. There's a disconnect that's now happened. There's a rift that's happened, and I've just cut off a part of the body. I've just cut off a part of myself that I need. See, I need to be able to go to Tara and say, I messed up. I'm super sorry. I repent before you. Because she's, if we don't do that, then we're losing out on an element of God's grace. See, so m- Pastor Brian has said this time and time again, so much of the time, God will move through other people. And I can tell William all day long, you know what? God's going to have grace with you if you mess up. God's going to forgive you if you mess up. God's going to do this if you mess up. He loves you. It's okay. He's going to forgive you. And he can have that in theory. He can have that in his head. But he's going to see it through someone else. God's going to move through someone. So if I don't continue to use the body like I should, if I don't repent before Tara and say, you know what, I messed up, then I'm cutting off that ability to let her show me what God's grace and God's love and God's mercy looks like. I'm not showing her the fact that God is also a God who forgives, a God who is merciful and good. You're cutting that part off. And it says in Romans, when Paul's talking, See, it says in here that if we don't use one another, that we're losing an accountability in our lives. In Romans 7, Paul is talking about the two different natures of man, the spirit nature and the flesh nature. And Paul, this great man of God, this man who wrote basically the entire New Testament, more or less, he says himself that he ends up waging war in his head. He says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. I'm doing the thing that I hate. And it's not because Paul didn't have accountability, but if we don't have accountability and we end up messing up, there's no one here to pull us back to the light. When I was by myself, just me and God saying, I'm messing up, I'm messing up, I'm messing up, I would keep messing up and I would keep doing the thing I wasn't, do- the thing I wasn't supposed to be doing because I wasn't letting George help me, because I wasn't letting Pastor Brian and Nicole help me, because I wasn't letting you guys help me. I wasn't opening up to you and using you the way that I should have been because there's a power that comes through the body of Christ. It's not just that we're all flowery and happy days and families and whatever. It's not that. It's you guys empower me. That's what the body of Christ does. You guys empower me to live the way that I'm supposed to be living. That's how the body of Christ works. The power of having godly relationships is the power that we need for accountability and for someone to encourage us to seek the Lord. In Hebrews, the Bible tells us to exhort one another daily to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and to encourage one another and to warn one another lest any of us be hardened throughout the de- or through the deceitfulness of sin. All of this is speaking about the importance of godly relationships. And on the negative side, the Bible warns us many times about ungodly relationships and how that ungodly relationships can affect our minds and our thinking. Before we know it, we can be led into things that we shouldn't be in. And it's because we have not protected ourselves and surrounded ourselves with godly counsel. And he gives a couple, a few different references for that. And if you want them, I'll give them to you after the service. The Bible says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? In 2 Corinthians 6.14. As you walk this Christian life, be encouraged to surround yourself with godly relationships and flee those who would influence you in a negative way. 
It is very important that we have godly believers in our lives with whom we can sharpen ourselves, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, and be accountable to. And then he says, God bless you, and that's supposed to be the end of the service. The end, Ten fifteen. have a good day. <laughs> right. So <laughs> we have some other things that we're going to talk about because, as I said, God has just been downloading stuff into me all week long. And for me, I, ha- I come into this with a bit of a different perspective. I... Um, I used to lead a youth group up in Maine. I used to help oversee it. And I was surrounded with the biggest group of kids who were passionate and on fire for the Lord. And it was awesome. They, we came together not just on Thursdays, but they basically lived at our house. It, it was a fun time in a trailer where like 12 kids would come and stay with you three days out of the week. It was a great time. But they were awesome. And they were on fire for the Lord and you were just watching them grow and grow and grow and grow. And I've moved here, and it's been wonderful. But every now and then I'll go back through, I'll go through their Instagram pages, or I'll go through Facebook or whatnot, and I see them linking up with people that they shouldn't be. I see them surrounding themselves with a bunch of people who like to party now. A lot of them are in college. And I see them dating people that they shouldn't be dating. And all of a sudden their walk with God isn't as on fire as it was. It's not as sold out for the Lord as it was. And I believe that God, it says in the word that God finishes every perfect work that he starts, and so I'm not worried about them whatsoever. But I do see the links that end up happening. You link up with someone wrong, and though in your head they may, you can see them with potential, if you're linking yourself up with someone that you shouldn't be, you're going to get pulled in the wrong direction, whether or not you think you will. I know for me, growing up, I always heard the term missionary dating and how you're not supposed to missionary date someone. You're not, as a believer, supposed to go out and find some heathen on... This is what I heard, not what I'm saying. Some heathen on the side of the road and then save them to Jesus because it's not going to work. And that used to bother me because I sure wanted to. But it doesn't work like that. And for me, that comes back to the three-part man series that Pastor Brian taught. And this is why I asked Pastor Brian this week for these notes. Because we need to always put relationships into perspective. We are three parts. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a flesh. And I need William. Please come up front. I need Chris, and I need Abigail. So, I like visuals. So, Chris is the spirit. Chris is your spirit man. William is the flesh. You're going to stand over here on the side. And Abby, oh no, Chris is the soul. I'm sorry. Abby is the spirit. William is the flesh. Chris is the mind. So link arms, please. This is who you are. These are the parts that you have inside of you. Your spirit is already refreshed to the Lord. It is one with God. It is always going to be pulling you toward the Father. If you're born again, if you're born again, then your spirit is always going to be pulling you toward the Father. Your flesh is something that you have to put down. And because your flesh is part of this world, it's always going to be pulling you toward the world, toward sin. Your mind is where the decision is made. Your mind is what's going to determine which direction you're going in. That's why I asked you the math question. There are three parts up here. This part is already going to be going toward the world. This part, if you are born again, 
is always going to be going towards God, which means that the determining number takes place in your soul, in your mind, and that's where the decision takes place. The Bible tells us that we have to renew our mind daily. Okay, so let's say that I am a godly woman and I want to be Chris's friend. I want to encourage him in the Lord. I'm going to end up linking up with the spirit. I'm going to end up pulling. And though the flesh may keep trying to pull him to the world, I'm going to end up outweighing that because the spirit now has reinforcements. Because if one plus one equals two, if you keep adding onto the spiritual side, you're going to end up going toward God. If you, if I am now satanic Barrett, evil Barrett, not godly Barrett, mean Barrett. I'm going to link up with the flesh. And though Chris's spirit may be pulling him as hard as it can be toward God, if his mind makes the decision to keep linking up with the wrong people, no matter how hard his spirit pulls him toward God, he's now outnumbered. It's as simple as basic math. Thank you, guys. And that may seem really dramatic, but it's not. It's just the way that it works. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 4, and I need to pull it up because, well, I don't want to misquote it. It tells us in Ecclesiastes 4 that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another one to lift him up. This is why it's so dangerous to try and walk this out by yourself. Because think about that three setup that was up here. You have your spirit, you have your flesh, and and if your mind is where you're making the decision and you're all by yourself, it's kind of like in the cartoons when you would have the little angel on one shoulder and the devil on one shoulder. Your mind is where you're going to make the decision. And if you fall down by yourself, Who's to say that your spirit's going to win out if you haven't been renewing your mind, if you haven't been linking yourself up with the right people? Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And this part especially just really kind of kicks you in the stomach. And if one can overpower him who is alone, if Satan can overpower you when you're by yourself, Two can resist him. That's in the word. That's what it says. It says that two can resist the devil. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And see, I'm, I'm really big about trying to find stuff in context. So I asked the Lord, show me this in the word. Show me where this is proven in your word. And he gave me two examples. So we're going to turn really quickly. We're not going to pull up the references But we're going to look at Job. Job is the perfect example of the type of friends that you should not surround yourself with. And so many people, I know for me, growing up, I always heard of Job, and this is going to sound crazy, but I heard of Job as a faith chapter, and that's just nuts. But Job, for me, now when I read through it, Thank Jesus he's brought me here and has opened my eyes to different spiritual matters because I can read through Job now and see, man, you let that door open up. Man, look, look at this. And see, we know Job, God didn't put any of this on Job at all. This wasn't God smiting Job, but Job had some stuff happen to him. He lost his family. He lost his, a lot of his health. God made sure that Satan did not and could not destroy him permanently. 
He told him that he could not take his life. But Job started to lose faith. Job started to look at his situation and look at his circumstances and let them beat him up. And it says um, really early on that he had three friends that heard of his dismay and came to him. And I'm going to butcher their names and I know it. But um, he had these three friends that were like, oh no, our friend needs help. And that sounds great. You, you're in trouble. You need help. Your friends are coming. Hurrah. But you know, they, were, they, they may as well have just stayed home. Because what ends up happening is Job starts going down this woe is me path. He starts going, I was innocent. I don't know why this is happening. I've done nothing to deserve this. God is smiting me. All this stuff. And his three amigos, Eliphaz, and I I told you I'm not Hebrew, it's fine. Um, But his first friend basically blames Job and tells him that God won't deliver him, that God's just going to leave him where he is, and that God's accusing Job of doing stuff wrong, and so he's putting all of this on him. You go to Bildad, his second friend, and he's just all sorts of encouraging, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's either in the second rant or the first rant. I don't know. That's all they are, are rants. But he says, this was the home of a wicked person, talking about how people are going to view Job's home. Well, that's great. You're already down. Let's kick your teeth out. And then you go to Zophar, who just keeps telling Job, God is punishing you. God is anger. This is who God is. He's wrath, and he's vengeful, and he's just doing this because he's mad at you. And Job counters with, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm innocent. That's not who I am. They're like, well, you clearly did something wrong. This is all your fault. And this goes on and on. It's Man, for me personally, it's, it's tedious to read through it because I read and I'm like, man, this isn't helping you at all. Becca and I were actually talking about this, and I told her, I'm like, you know what, in my personal opinion, I think that Job would have gotten out of this had his friends actually known and loved the Lord, had they actually pushed him to Christ. And I think that this is evidenced by the last person who talks in this book, his friend Elihu. And his... It doesn't say that he'd been there that entire time, but it kind of implies it. And so you go from listening to the first, Job's first friend rant and rave, and then Job rants and rave, and then the second friend rants and rave, and they go through cycles where they each do this three different times. And finally, Elihu is like, enough is enough. I've been listening to you guys talk. You guys are my elders, so I'm trying to respect you, but you don't know who God is. Look at what you're saying about him. Look at what you're encouraging Job to feel. Look at the character of God you think God has. And as soon as Elihu brings through peace, he brings through truth, God shows up. And it's like, who do you think I am? Who are you to say all of this about me? See, a real friendship, a godly friendship may not make you feel good and flowery all the time, but it's going to point you to Jesus when you need it. It's going to point you back to God so God can come in and deliver you. And that's what God does. Even though what God says to Job may sound harsh, that's what he needed to break through the chains of bondage and oppression that were on him. And as soon as God finishes, Job is like, I am a wretched man. I had no idea what I was saying. I am so sorry. You are God and you are good. And as soon as Job's focus goes back where it should be, God blesses him and restores him. 
And not just restores him, but it's tenfold over. It's far more blessed than he ever was. But he says a verse specifically at the end to Job about his friends. He says it to his friends. I am angry with you and your two friends. He's saying this to the Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. I'm angry with you and your two friends for you have not spoken accurately about me. He tells them to go bring Job a burnt offering because they pulled Job that far off course and they thought they knew God. This is why it's not just important to seek out someone and be like, you Christian? You sure you checked that box? Cool, we can be buddies. And I'm not saying that you can't associate with people who aren't as strong in the Lord with you or who don't know the Lord yet because that's not biblically accurate. But what's important is that your circle that you surround yourself with, that you're confessing things to, that you're talking to, that you're seeking counsel from, that they are godly. Because if they're not, they're going to pull you in the opposite direction that you want to go. And see, I was talking to my friend, my friend Lauren this week about that, actually. And she was telling me about different people that she's known in the past. And different, these different people, she considered to be really, really close with her. She considered them to be some of her best friends. And she was telling me different life decisions that they're making. And I'm like, do you still consider this person to be like a really good friend to you? Really? And as she started talking, she's like, no, because I'm going after the Lord now. Because I'm not going to let them derail me. Because I'm not going to let them take away what I have now in Christ. See, you can't just say, you're a Christian, check, let's go hang out, let's go get married. You need to make sure that they're going to pull you up. Because when you fall, if they can't, how much longer is it going to take you to stand back up? When I fall and when I fail, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that George is the man who's going to lift me back up to where I need to be because he is not just a Christian man, he's a godly man. I know that when I fail and I need to ask for forgiveness, Brian and Nicole are going to forgive me because they're godly, because they love like God loves, because they'll forgive like God forgives. These are the type of people you need to surround yourself with because you need to have someone who's going to lift you back up when you fail. You need to have someone who's going to pull you in the direction of Christ instead of watching you go more and more toward the world. Now the second example is the example of what a godly relationship looks like. And J.D., if you'll throw up Exodus 17... In Exodus 17, it's talking about Moses and how um, Moses and Aaron and her. And I'm just going to read them. I'm not at uh, verse 10 yet, so I'm going to back up to Exodus 17.8. You don't have to throw it up. It says, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. And so it's as simple as this. The staff is up we win. Staff goes down, we lose. It, it was as simple as that. That's how the anointing was working. 
So Moses goes up on that hill and he holds his staff up. He keeps it raised. And when he does, Israel is beating the tar out of Amalek. Amalek is not overcoming them. But after a while, it says in the word, but Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone, Aaron and her, and put it under him and sat on it. See, it may look simple to hold up something as simple as a stick. But I'm telling you, as not the one who's in the gym the most often, I could probably hold it up for a bit, but Becca's going to be able to hold it up longer than I am because Becca's kind of a beast. But even after a while, after 30 minutes of holding the stick up over your head, your arms are going to get tired. If you try to do this by yourself, you can't. And see, if Moses had been up on that mountain by himself, I'm not proclaiming this over Moses because we don't know because he didn't do it. But I'm betting that his arms would have gotten so tired that he would have had to lower them because he physically would have lost the strength to keep them up. But you know what he did? He had godly wisdom. God had told him to assemble the elders around him, and he did. And Aaron and Hur went onto that mountain with them. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sunset. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with this edge of the sword. See, if you try to do this walk by yourself, if you try to go through life by yourself, there's going to come a time when your strength is going to fail because you're not designed that way. God does not design us to be by ourselves. That's not who he is. God looked at Adam and said, it is not good for man to be alone. And that is not just talking about marriage. That is talking about how as a body we are designed to use one another. We are part of a body. I may be a pinky toe, but Dixie could be an ear. And she's going to hear things that I'm not going to know. And I'm going to go places that she hasn't been. But together we're going to be the full image of God if we're linking ourselves together. God doesn't want us to do this walk by ourselves. And he doesn't want us to link up with the wrong people. See, in youth so often, the, what I'll end up hearing as prayer requests or when we're talking on the side is people wanting to seek out their best friend, wanting to seek out the people that they're going to be with. And so often it just boils down to, oh, you don't have a best friend? You want to be my best friend? Great, super. And that's how relationships oftentimes work is just out of convenience or availability. But we need to be praying for the people on our, either of our sides. We need to be praying for the people to lift up our arms. We were joking about this last night um, in a group text I had, but I was talking to some friends of mine. I'm like, how boring and how different would my life look like if I didn't pray for the people that I have around me right now? If I didn't pray for the man of God that I have, if I didn't pray for the pastors that I have, if I didn't pray for the church that I have, I'm in a place right now where if I fail, you guys are going to pick me up. Because that's what Christ does. He gives you a body to lean on so that when you're weaker, they can be your strength. That when you need help, they're there. They're the provision that you need. And it's not just a matter of, because I know for me, so often I, I remember when I first moved here and I was kind of lonely. A lot of you guys weren't here then. 
But I was kind of lonely, and at work, I'd hear someone say, oh, yeah, I go to church. So I'm going to be like, yes, it's a Christian. I get to have a friend now. And they sure didn't. I told this example to the youth. I remember when I first started my walk with Christ really fully, I was getting on fire for the Lord, and I found this church, and they're awesome, and they're still around, and praise God, their ministry is doing awesome things. But at that time, I would go to church, and we'd go out afterwards, and they all loved the Lord. We had just had a big hallelujah praise session. And then at dinner, or at lunch, I'm sorry, at lunch we would go out and they would all order a beer. Okay. That, okay. Which meant that when my 21st birthday rolled around, I invited all of them to come out with me. And they all bought me shots. Okay, cool. So that means that Christ is cool with this. Great, let's go drink all the time. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as one little thing, one little door getting cracked open, and then Satan will kick it down because the door's open. Because I was relying on people who were all my own age, who were all trying to figure out what Christ looked like, who he was. There were no elders that were around. There was no supervision, so to speak. We were all just learning ourselves. They didn't have someone that they could go to to be like, that was probably not a smart move that you just did. You probably should not have bought her three tequila shots because, you know what, she's probably not going to be up super happy in the morning. And that opened up the door to drinking for me because the Christian people that I was surrounding myself with, they weren't godly people yet. They hadn't been discipled. They weren't going after the Lord. They were going after what felt good. And praise God, they're all on fire for the Lord now. I keep in touch with them. And that's God's mercy right there. But if you're linking yourself up with someone just because they identify themselves with a denomination or a religion, but they're not actually having a relationship with the Father, their lack of fruit is going to become your lack of fruit. But you know what? When you link up with the right people, when you start going arm and arm and arm with people who are on fire for the Lord and are chasing after God, their fruit will be your fruit because they're going to show you how to do it. They're going to teach you how to walk out life. They're going to show you, you know what? You're you're lacking faith in this area. Your finances are struggling. When's the last time you gave an offering? When's the last time you tithed? When's the last time you believed God to provide this for you? Or are you just working for yourself right now? You know what? Your marriage looks like it may be in trouble. Let me show you how God has restored mine. Let me show you what worked for me. You know what? You don't have theoretically enough money. Let me be god's hands and feet for you let me sew a dinner into you i can't tell you the amount of times that rachel has sewed dinners into me and it's still not nearly the amount of times she's sewn them into other people because that's how god moves in her to a degree because she gets to fulfill that heart and love of christ and she's really good at it (laughs) we need to make sure that we're linked up with people who are going to pull us toward god who are going to help us establish fruit, who we can go to and ask for forgiveness and repentance and just love. And they're going to love us no matter what, no matter what crazy things come out of our mouths. God loves us no matter what we tell him because he already knows it. That's the love that is in this place. That's the love that this body has. Use it. Do you have anything to add, sir? So I'm going to close this out in prayer today. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you that you have not created us to be islands, that you have not left us 
in this world by ourselves as orphans, but rather you've adopted us into your family. And not only do we get to call you father, but we get to call these people brothers and sisters. We get to call your children our family. And as a family, we pledge today to go toward you at full steam. We pledge today for your eyes to be what we look through. We ask for your wisdom and discernment on who should be in our lives and who shouldn't be. We ask for your discernment on what relationships should look like. We ask for your leading to show us who to allow in our inner circle. And we ask for your leading to show us people who need you so that we can go out and love them. We ask to be your hands and feet to bring even more people into your family so that your family can grow and grow and grow and spread that love of you out to the world. We just praise you and give you all the glory and all the honor. Amen.